It's the 19th hole with Michael Williams. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of the 19th Hole. Michael Williams, your host here on Golf WRX. Uh, we got a great show for you this week. We bring you the best in golf and golf lifestyle. Uh, first up is a guy who I've been trying to get on the show for a long, long time. He's a guy who I've known for a long, 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 long time. Uh, he is a legend here in the Washington, D.C. area uh, as a broadcaster, uh, as a golfer, has uh, hosted golf shows alongside mine. Uh, here on local television, and he has done basically everything in the business, TV, radio, ESPN, the mothership, he's done it all. Uh, he is, of course, Chick Hernandez, who is with PGA Tour Radio now. He's going to be joining us to talk about what else, the PGA Tour. We may get to reminiscing a little bit, too, but uh, he's got a rare insight into what's going on on tour, especially during these unusual times. He's uh, right in the thick of it, so I'm really looking forward to hearing from him and hearing what he's got to say and, of course, how he says it because, again, he's a super fun guy. Uh, also, we have Chad Mark. Chad is the director of grounds at Muirfield Village Golf Club, where the memorial is being held this week. Yes, at the same golf club where they held the Workday Challenge last week. It's a very, very rare occurrence. I think it's been five decades since they, uh, they being the PGA Tour, has hosted back-to-back events at the same location. So I wanted to get the view from the grounds, literally, of the guy who has to make that happen. How do you make the same stage work for two completely different plays? And uh, I, it's fascinating to uh, to talk to a guy like that. So I'm really looking forward to hearing uh, what he has to say and uh, his insights and how he's going to make that thing uh, work in a situation that really doesn't ever happen. Um, yeah, I mean, the tour is, is in full sweep. We don't have uh, spectators, but we do have Tiger. And we do have, I would say, no spectators, but definitely a spectacle when you talk about Bryson DeChambeau. Uh, already, the guy has had... Uh, a couple of 400-yard drives. Uh, he is uh, just really making people sit up and take notice. Whether that all translates to multiple and consistent winning on the tour is yet to be seen. But um, And whether, will his body hold up? That's yet to be seen. I did uh, uh, a segment with uh, Scotty Farrell, the great Scotty Farrell, out of New York uh, yesterday. And we were talking about whether... His body would hold up. He's going to be playing with Tiger Woods for the first two days. And there's a guy who learned the hard way that building up your body, torquing it and hitting it, you know, as hard as you can and basically doing a full body sneeze, you know, thousands of times in, uh, in a year can take its toll. It certainly did on him. I can't imagine that it would be any different for 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 Bryson. So uh, the success is there for now in terms of the numbers. Uh, the success is there now in terms of the one win that he chalked up in Detroit. I am curious to see whether that all adds up and works on a championship setup. We have our first championship of the year coming up uh, in just a few weeks at, at TPC Harding Park. The PGA Championship is there. Uh, I want to see a U.S. Open setup. I want to see him perform on a uh, Open Championship setup where you still have to work the ball. It's not all about just, you know, hitting taters it's about working the ball it's about understanding the ground game uh so uh, you know players advance equipment advances and eventually the game catches up 
and uh, we'll see uh, how he does. But again, you know, when you just look at those numbers, when you get the top tracer thing and you watch that thing spin and those numbers going up, I mean, it's uh, <laughs> kind of weird to see the, the numbers that, that get put up on that thing. And, you know, you want to just calibrate it. It's like, okay, is that... Uh, is that meters or yards or <laughs> we sure we got the right thing here it it really is uh, uh quite something to see but again you know uh, of course does the ball doesn't know who's hitting it the course doesn't know who's playing it um so everybody's in competition everybody basically has to put it in the hole so i think especially on this course the way it's going to be set up it's going to come down to short game and putting and um those are the guys who you're going to see at the top of the leaderboard so again it's going to be fascinating great setup jack's going to be there uh tigers there i think 23 of the top 25 are there and of course i'll be there because i'll be watching i bet you will be too so we got a great show this week i don't want to take any time away from it so go get yourself an adult beverage i'm gonna go get a michter's 10 i got a care package from the michter's folks so i got a, a bottle of 10 year old rye that's here yeah, I'm not giving you my address because I'm sure you'd be knocking on my door if you if you knew where it was because this thing is terrific. I'm going to pour myself two fingers and uh, get into the show. You go do the same, and we'll be right back. Michael Williams, 19th hole, golf, WRX. Hi, Michael. This is Barbara Nicholas. You've got a great voice. We love hearing what you have to say, and we wish you the best for many years. Welcome back to the 19th hole. And, uh, you know, with most uh, sporting events completely shut down, they're trying to restart some of those things. And, um, you know, in fits and starts, they're, they're, they're trying to get it done. Um, uh, but... The PGA Tour is off to a pretty good start. You know, they've had their challenges too, but um, things are rolling right along, you know, to the point where we're actually easing up to our first major championship of the year, if you can believe that, the PGA Championship coming up in uh, San Francisco in just, uh, in just a few weeks. Joining me now is somebody who knows the PGA Tour inside and out, back to front. He's a proud son of the Washington, D.C. area, actually grew up just a few miles uh, from me. Uh, he is beloved here in the Washington area as a sportscaster, and you probably know him uh, as the on-course rover for PGA Tour Radio. Please welcome Chick Hernandez to the 19th hole. Chick, how you doing, brother? I'm good. I mean, I, let's, get, let's be honest about the locality of it. Is I went to high school with uh, one of your siblings. So, yeah, absolutely local. That's exactly. So, I was it Ron or was it Carol? Yeah, it was Ron, who to this day, I... I still say one of the most quietest um, fellows off the court, and even on the court, he was quiet, but he was an assassin. Uh, just had unbelievable hops, and but just quietly, before you knew it, there was 20 points on the board, and you went, what just, what just happened there? Uh, yeah, Ron, just a really, really, really good baller. Good guy, really good guy. Yeah, Ron is still, he's still a quiet guy. Um, he's not balling anymore, but, you know, it's interesting being his <laughs> his older brother, and you go to your basketball camp, and, you know, one of the coaches asks you, hey, where's your little brother? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. uh, 
I'm yeah. here. I'm standing right here. With that, yeah, right, <laughs> right, can play. Ron was definitely a player. So, um, but we've both gone on to get into the golf world by our uh, different circumnavigations. And um, really, yeah, it, and it's just kind of interesting, you know, because I didn't grow up playing the game. Did you grow up playing golf? Was it always uh, something no. for you? I did not grow up playing the game other than to play, hang out with my friends a little bit. But uh, And the, and the, the legend, I say legend, is that I played golf uh, right-handed for 15 years. And because that's what the clubs that were given to me was a mm. right-handed club. And when I was in Augusta, Georgia, working at the CBS station there as a sports director, I was playing golf four days a week. Really wanted to get good. Had to, I was playing competitively. And I really wanted to get good. And an old caddy on the on one of the uh, ranges said that you're. He said he asked me uh, one day, "What's your handicap?" I said, "Well, it's 12." And he said, "Well, you want to be single digit?" And I said, "Absolutely, I want to be single digit." Mm. And he said, "All right, give me two weeks with you, and I'll get you to single digit by the end of the summer." And I said, "Dude, I'll you know I'll do anything uh, because I was I was playing baseball down there too, and every day I played baseball." I'm going to go to the golf range that afternoon or the next day to keep the two swings out of my head <laughs> right. separate. Right. Right. And so he said, uh, he goes, just give me two weeks for that. I said, all right, great. He goes, just give me one favor. And I said, what's that? He goes, you are, go buy left-handed clubs. And I balled my fist up. I was going to punch him because I thought that's the worst golf joke <laughs> I've ever heard. And he said, no, I watched you play baseball this past weekend. You hit three taters. The first one was right-handed, and you had to work at The two lefties, they just popped out and switch hitters. The two lefty homers, like nothing. They looked hmm. me dead in my pupil and said, you're a left-handed golfer. And I came back in two hours with left-handed clubs. He's like, you've got to be kidding me. I said, no, 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 I'm not kidding. We're going we're gonna to do this. Um, and so that's what I did. I, that's, that's where my love back in the so like early 90s is where my addiction to golf really began and i've been you know competing and practicing playing every day that i can yeah and it's been tough here because i know for me the last round i played was uh was was late march over at, at you know sligo right down the street here played nine oh, holes yeah. at sligo My first course ever exactly and uh you know the game was in tune because i've been playing a lot shot one over uh for that nine okay. and haven't played since and um oh my god yeah it 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 sucks but um yeah it does we but we i mean we we you know virginia was open i played a few times over in virginia um and my club manor country club is was open um you could go practice uh you weren't allowed to play but you could practice in the short game area which is what i did that's my that's where my i make my money is my short game because i'm not the longest guy off the tee so mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I was I was I was in tuned when when golf returned um, and, and and it went south for a little bit and then the last two weeks all of a sudden something has clicked and I've I've, I've had a couple of scores that I haven't had I feel like I shot my lowest round in 22 years wow. uh, last week nice yeah one under one wow. under at uh, at the link to Gettysburg and I was three over after two holes when I shot one under so that's yeah. Okay. <clears throat> Note to self: Leave my wallet in the car the next time I play with you. Yeah, I hear you. Because hear you. yeah, that's, that's... And that quickly though. I can shoot fourteen over, so it's that's the way that you know that's the game. Uh, sorry, you already gave the tell. I'm not. I'm not fighting, falling for it. Sorry, <laughs> you already told on yourself. <laughs> well, I, let's, hold on. Let's let's be honest. Have you told your listeners of 
the Lost Club on number 10 at Congressional? Uh, it's been it's been a few years since I've told the old Davy Jones locker uh, story at um, at Congressional. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I forgot you were there for that moment. Um, so this was uh, which was it, it was the um, media day for uh, for Tigers tournament for the AT and T was it? Yeah. And yeah, correct. Um, correct. as it can happen in Washington in the springtime, it can still. Uh, snow. It was this close to snowing. It was rain that was yeah. like solid rain. It was coming down in chunks and it was freezing right. and miserable. And even though it was a free round at congressional and none of us media ever yep. say no to free, uh, everybody was thinking about, you know what, let's get out of here. We're just about done. Yeah. So got to the That's 10th good. hole and uh, Let's see, they had it uh, way up there, because I think you can play that hole as, as much as 200 yards, but they were playing a forward tee for us, for the media. And they had it about yeah. 125 yards, something like that. Is that yep. what it was? Yep, over water. Over water, that number 10 hole. I think uh, those who've seen the tournament know it well. Um, so uh, <laughs> I pick up pitch and wedge. And uh, again, it's cold, it's rainy, and I'm thinking this is definitely the last hole. And uh, I want to do well on this hole, take a good hearty lash at it. And I'm looking up in the air as I see the ball just arcing perfectly towards the hole. And so is the club because I had let go of it. And like the, the, they were just matching each other perfectly in the air, just woof, woof, woof. This beautiful like baton going towards the ball. And uh, yeah. And uh, the the ball landed about I don't know I guess I had about a, a three and a half four feet uh, stuck at a three and a half four feet, and the uh, I'll say the club went to ten feet because it was in ten feet of water landed right in the lake. <laughs> Did you ever get it back? Uh, no, no. I <laughs> I told that the pro if I could get it back. He says, yeah, you can. <laughs> that was John. Your John Lieberger was a pro over there. It's like, can I get the club back? Yes, yeah. you can. <laughs> like, okay, I see what you're saying. But the saddest part of the whole story is I missed the putt. And, you know, <laughs> and so that was, that was uh, the day that that was the day that we didn't think. Oh, I don't think that was the round where we, we didn't think we were going to play. Um, and then they out of the blue said, "All right, guys, we're going out to warm up." And I'm like, "Oh crap!" And I'm a big creature of warming up. Big yeah. creature. I like yeah. to find out what swing I have on the range. That's my game. I don't have a set like pattern, all that jazz. And I remember going out, to number, I started on number one, and I teed off, and I hit a bomb in the middle of the fairway for me, which, you know, I just absolutely just absolutely tasted it. And I had, a, I don't know what I had, probably a eight, nine iron into that hole. And I took out so much sod. <laughs> Um, I mean, I stuck the club, almost stuck the club into the ground like it didn't move, and I blew up my knuckle. I mean, it was so painful. Oh, man, what? That, and I'm like, okay, and I hit it, and I hit a good shot, but it was like I just – it was such a horrible feeling, and it was on my right hand, my left-handed golfer, so it was on my, on my glove hand that I knuckle and blew up, and I decided, well, I'm going to leave the glove on, which I don't ever do. I always put their handed, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to leave the glove on because I don't want to take it off. It's painful. So we played, I think we only got nine holes in that day. Yeah. And when we came off, um, was the time I took my glove off. And when I took my glove off, we, I couldn't. We had to cut the glove off because the knuckle had, oh, had man. swelled so 
so badly, and I didn't realize what I'd done, which was tear ligaments in that sucker. Um, and for the next few weeks, I had to, I had to wear something on it to, to play. I, I think I took a week off, but you know, but you could like literally, I could move my finger, and you could feel the ligaments and the stuff in there all loosen. But that's golf. That's idiot golf for you. To the guy he plays when hurt. That's what we love about him. That's Chick Hernandez oh, yeah. of PGA Please Tour Radio. <laughs> he's a gamer, ladies I play and gentlemen. Hurt a lot. He's, he's a, he's a game. Yeah. He, he just keeps going. Uh, you listen to yeah. the 19th hole. Michael Williams, your host here. Uh, before I get into the tour, because we got to talk about the tour at some point, uh, you're a Washington guy. Yeah. I'm a Washington guy. Redskins just announced mm-hmm. they're going to change the name. How does that hit you? How does that strike you? Well, I grew up here, but I was not a Redskins fan other than a Larry Brown fan. Um, mm-hmm. And I've told the story, and people have gotten mad at me on social media, but I grew up a Cowboys fan only because the entire my entire family, the first game I ever watched was Cowboys against the Niners. And, you know, it's on a and, – and I, I asked, you know, who's everybody rooting for? Everybody in the family said we're rooting for the Niners because we hate the Cowboys. And this is, you know, I'm like, okay, well, I'll take the guys Tarzan and all. And uh, it was Roger Staubach's first comeback win ever. Mm. And I was sold. I was, that was my, those are my, that's my team until they hired Tom Landry. And then I was done. And once you get in the business of being a sportscaster and covering teams, you know, I took the, the, the angle of being, you know, not a homer. Um, right. You know, I, I decided I was going to be, uh, you know, objective about it. And I liked the players that I've covered with the Redskins. But I did not root for them. What they did, win or lose, did not matter to me. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but growing up in the area, I know the, the passion that these this fan base has, and I've seen it online. Just when I even post a poll on Twitter, and people, you know, just coming after me for this and that. And so, uh, the way it hit me was that it was high time um, that it takes place, and you know. People tried to come at me and say, well, you know, uh, the Washington Post article says that nine out of ten Native Americans aren't offended. Well, that was a poll of 504 people. Right. That's just not enough for me. And I know there are people out there, reservations out there, uh, that are highly upset. And to say it out loud, to say uh, redskin, you just say the word, it sounds offensive. It just mm. sounds offensive. Yeah. Yeah. It, um, it, you know, it was, there's really no emotion in it for me either. Um, I have the Redskins beat it out of me. I was so passionate about the Redskins when I was a little kid. You know, I loved them. You know, if they lost on Thanksgiving, I couldn't eat, you know, I'm like, you know, picking at my turkey and mashed potatoes or whatever. Um, I lived right. and died with those guys. But under Daniel Snyder, they have not been the Redskins for quite some time. I'd say for most of the ownership uh, period of, of that, that guy's uh, uh, reign. And I just... I lost all emotion for them a long time ago. They beat it out of me. So I, yeah. I, for me, Michael, I've been agnostic about them for a while too. And I think it's just high time. I think that's a really good term, way to put it. It's high time for a change. 28 years. 28 years. One 11-win season. Right. 28 years. Right. That's an effort. It's an, that's an effort in futility. So I think change is good. I've always said there's something in the water in this these parts that our local teams – Something goes wrong, and in the last few years, the Nationals and Capitals have, have kind of changed the, the, the psyche of the area, and I, I hope uh, that the new Redskins team name and mascot is, is a good one and that it, it's going to make Dan Snyder money, which for him is the bottom line. Mm-hmm. And I hope that the guys that are on this 
you know, playing for this franchise uh, and reap some benefits of, of, you know, a different psyche. Yeah, I think, honestly, that they probably wouldn't have been in this position. I, I, I opine that it wouldn't have been as desperate a situation for them if they had been a winning franchise at, at, at any period during that time. But um, I, I would I would agree with you. I yeah, agree with you. But you I know. think the fan base is so dis, so disheartened, like yourself, and disgusted that they're like, you know what, screw it. Let's just change. Let's do something different. Yeah, yeah. And that allow that'll also allow, according to DC officials, them to have a stadium back in the RFK site, probably. So yeah. you know, you go back to where history was made. It makes yeah. sense. Yeah, that the whole franchise just tear it down to the studs because at this point we're just rooting for laundry anyway because that team hasn't been anything to root <laughs> yeah. for, you know, yeah. for for quite some time. Um, well, I guess let's talk about golf a little bit. Uh, oh, okay. T- t- tour has started, and uh, the big story, uh, literally and figuratively, so far this year, if I was, was going to choose one, has been uh, Bryson DeChambeau or DeChapeau, as I like to call him. Um, he has <laughs> added thirty odd pounds to his frame um, uh, and is convinced that uh, hitting taters is the way to uh, make yourself uh, a very successful golfer on the PGA Tour. He has had some success. What's your thoughts on Bryson? What's the word on him out on tour? Do the players feel like he's onto something or is it just like Uh, another gimmick for Bryson? I think originally, initially they thought, oh boy, here we go again. The professor is doing something crazy. And then they saw what's taking place and even tiger woods had a press conference you know uh, before this memorial saying you know you know uh what he's done i'll quote tiger what bryson has done is no easy task he's got to put in the time put in the reps he's sitting it further but it, but it, let's look at the facts he's hitting as straight as he is and that's the issue and that's the thing that has opened the eyes of the his fellow players is Okay, he's hitting balls, and I think a couple of weeks ago, Roy McIlroy literally said to his caddy, "He just put it past me 40 yards, right. and it's insane what he's doing." But he's not spraying it all over the place. Uh, and the tournament he won, he was number one in driving distance. He was number one in putting. You put those two together, you can't say, "Okay, this guy's just a whack job." Right. Um, he's doing things, and he is what I, you know, what I think what we all fear. And we knew it was going to happen with Tiger, uh, with, and uh, with a different body, is that that body is going to have to break down. If you saw any of the social media stuff, him taking swings on the track man, and how fast and how many reps he was taking with that driver, the body, the stronger you are, the body's just not made for a golf swing. You know, right. And right. So at some point, this is that body's going to break down. I hope it's long from now, uh, or, or or he learns to temper a little bit, but. He's fallen in love, and who doesn't fall in love with extra yards, right? That's that's how guys, that's how companies sell clubs. Hey, you want to hit it 10 yards further? All these training tools, blah, blah, blah. Well, right. you know, Bryson's doing it. Um, he put on the weight of muscle uh, and is absolutely going after it, and it is ridiculous to see. Um, I remember two weeks ago, he was on the tee box, uh, 399-yard par four. He's got the tee. And he asked Troy. He asked the entire group, "Are they still on the green?" Right. <laughs> and the caddy said yes. So he looked at Troy Merritt and said, "You want to go first because I'm waiting." Are you kidding me? And right. he was right. I mean, he was 20 yards off the green. If he if he caught it, perfect. That sucker's on the green. 399. What? 
Yeah, it's a it's a whole other thing. And golf has advanced through its long hitters. You know, if you look at its history, it's the guys who combine length with the other necessary skills to be transcendent. That happened with Tiger. It happened with Jack. You know, it you know on down the line go back to bobby jones well you know that's that's where it's at i wonder though because he has so many moving parts in his um not in his swing but in his let's say his whole approach to the game he's got the uh now he's got the muscle working he's got the single length clubs working um i think that he i don't know if self-entitlement is a club in the bag but that whole thing with saying that the uh the uh, what the uh, cameraman shouldn't show players yeah. misbehaving on course. What, what what was your thoughts on that? Because I laughed and I laughed. And, you know, to yeah, ask Tiger you know about having a, a microphone and a camera on you all the time and, and let him tell you what he feels yeah. about that. Yeah, here's the thing. And Tiger said it during his first conference, too. He's had cameras on him probably every competitive shot he's hit. Right. He's had cameras on him. He goes, you just have to get used to it. And for Bryson to, to whine about it is kind of ridiculous. Actually, not kind of ridiculous. It's very ridiculous. Completely ridiculous. Because yeah. you, you, you hit a bad shot, which you deem a bad shot, and if you got out of the bunker, most hamburgers go, great. He hit a bad shot, according to him, and he pounded the sand with his club, and he was, he was mad at the cameraman who followed him, which, by the way, is the cameraman's job, is never to leave. If he leaves when the director says, all right, go get another shot. That's So that guy's going to stay on him. But Bryson has... Sponsors on his hat and on his shirt, on his bag. You don't think the sponsors want the cameras on him twenty four seven? Right. And that's how he's making the bulk good of point. his money, by the way. Really good point. So that's just you can't. You, it's, but he's been that guy, right? He had that meltdown in the range a couple years ago. He's he's that guy, um, and you, you know, he'll learn from it. He'll learn from it. He'll get talked to by veterans on the tour, and you know, say, dude, this is. This is our job. This is our moneymaker. Just get over it, you know. So, and 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 if he keeps hitting bombs like this, guess what? The cameras will be on him all the time, and it's difficult. We know, Michael. We know this game's difficult. If cameras are on me, and I used to be a really a, a real hothead, I would not have. I would not survive on, on TV for the things I said and did to myself, not to other people. Um, I've kind of learned to temper it, but still. Yeah, it's, you're a pro. Act like one. Yeah, and it's interesting because you hear people all the time complain about the fact that the players are so vanilla, don't show emotion, don't show personality. And here's right. a guy who actually does that. Instead of, you know, just embracing it and owning it, he wants to ha- have a cameraman be complicit in covering him up. You said Pan San uh, uh, a little bit ago. That's exactly what I would have told him to do if... <laughs> I was a cameraman. <laughs> Dude, yeah. Do what you did on that last shot. Pound sand, okay? That, that, would, be, that would be my thought. Um, so from Bryson, we go to Tiger, who we've been talking about. It's yeah. going to be interesting with him playing at the Memorial this week. You talked about him on camera. I, I just want to get a screenshot of him hitting competitive shots without a crowd around. When is the last time Tiger played a round of golf without having... 10,000 of the people who are on the course with him as he progresses through. It's going to be so weird to see him on an empty golf course. You know what, you know, do you know what it was? I do. Tell me. Uh, at his tournament, um, at Congressional, and it was the day after the derecho came through and, and blew out all the trees 
Um, right. So what they what they said was there'll be no fans and only necessary uh, staffing, and we the media were allowed on the court. I remember and that. That's right. Such a such a surreal time. Um, and I remember talking to Ben Curtis on the range before we went out to play, and I said, so when you birdie a hole, what are you going to do? And he looked at me kind of funny, like, what do you mean? I said, well, who are you going to tip your cap to? He's like, <laughs> oh, yeah, because he, he just like, oh, he hadn't thought, he hadn't thought about it. And we followed him, and I think he birdied three, birdied the third hole, and he literally took like ten steps, and then like one cat, he just clapped, did a little clap, and then he just capped because he said, oh, I forgot. So that was the last time. Um, Tiger was asked about, you know, did he, did he play, you know, were, were there crowds, you know, was there ever time when he didn't have a crowd? He goes, well, and somebody said, how about back to your college days? And he laughed. He said, well, I kind of had a following then, too. And he laughed about it because it's true. <laughs> they had people come out watching in Stanford. Right? True, true. So it is a different feel out there, Michael, for sure. Um, it's You hear everything uh, and some things that players and caddies don't want you to hear, but you hear everything. Uh, you get a clear sense of uh, what goes through a shot. And sometimes he doesn't allow you to do it. The mm-hmm. announcers are talking over it. Yeah. According to Bruce Kepka. Um, <laughs> uh, but this is this is you know it's it's a it's a different feel. And if for for a golf addict like myself, well now the sound of the club hitting the ball is even more pure. Um, yeah. And uh, listening to them on the greens, all of that stuff. So. That's the only benefit for a guy like me, but it is clearly, as Tiger said in his press conference, the energy's not there. If there had been a crowd at the Workday Charity Open mm. for that last hole of regulation, exactly, Justin Thomas hit a 50-footer, and right. see um, Morikawa hit that 24-footer, the place would have lost their minds. Right. Or, uh, or Justin driving the green on 14 to, to 12 feet. I mean, you know, come on. That's... So it's different. The energy's not there, and they have to kind of work through that. You've got the PGA Championship coming up uh, in, I guess, a little less than a month. Uh, yep. A major championship without fans, super-duper weird, obviously. Um, how, do, how do you approach uh, preparing for something like that? Well, ironically, it's easier for us. Is it? Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, it's easier for us because, you know, we are we have carts and a driver uh, when we're calling shots. And so we go over the course uh, there two beforehand, and we kind of map out where to go, how to get from hole to hole. Uh, or if, you know, we're not always sometimes going hole to hole. Sometimes we're being called off to go to a hot group. And how do we get there? So where are we going on the course? Um, and it's the phrase, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> That's what you hear from us. Uh, as we're driving through, because you know there are fans. Yeah. Now that's not the case, right. and so it is a, and it's almost because it is so quiet out there. Um, you have to be cognizant of the fact that the golfers can hear you too, and so calling mm. shots yeah. is different too. Yeah, you know we normally have a a, a, a notepad or something to you know to buffer our voice, but we're in a crowd and we can talk as loud as we want. Because um, we, we pick a distance away that can't be heard. Now that's much more difficult to do. And you literally could be, you know, on the other side of the green or off the green up on a hill calling the shot. And then the caddy looks up at you like, oh. he gives that look like, yeah, we can hear you. 
So you then got to, you know, that's the only time we go to a whisper. Uh, we're not supposed to whisper, but we go to a whisper because we don't want to upset the golfer. It's interesting. I know some of those guys have like state of the art sonar to, you know, just absolutely <laughs> anything. Oh, yeah. happens. I'll, I'll, I'll admit it. Look, I got small ears, but they're satellites. So for some reason, people, the guys I play with, and I play with a lot of different people, they feel, I guess they feel because I'm in TV and radio that I'm used to, you know, hearing stuff that I you know, wear an IP and I have something in my ear all the time. They just feel comfortable in talking or whispering. And it's the worst. It's almost better if you talk than whisper. And now I just hear this, and I'm like, and I'm wondering, what's going on over there? What am I doing? All right. Are they talking know, about me? <laughs> right, right, right. Are my pants on okay? Did I, did I miss a belt loop? Did I zip up? <laughs> what are you guys saying about me? Yeah, it uh, it, it it can be annoyance. Uh, so and, and with Tiger, and with Tiger, it's going to be so much easier to move around. That's the right. Thing. You know, right. There's there's hordes of people um, that you know follow him, and that's always the biggest crowd. And so now it's infinitely easier to move around, and it's unfortunate that there's. There's no crowd, but it's easier for us to go for it. Well, uh, do you have a favorite for the PGA Championship, an early pick? Oh, gosh. I don't do picks, really. Um, I'm just, you know, if you look at the numbers, uh, winners in their 20s this year, there are 12. Winners in their 30s this year, there are 13, 11. Winners in the 40s, there's just one, hmm. and that's Tiger Woods. Mm-hmm. So I will never count that dude out. Nope. Ever until he is laid up again and can't use his back. But if anybody's seen his swing during the match, you know, and now and now he's come out this week, just watch his swing this week and tell me he's not going to be a favorite if it's as smooth as I've seen. So um, I don't I don't have a favorite. Um, back to Bryson for a second. I can't wait to see him in November at Augusta. Right. Because, Same. Okay. You know, you get great long. Sh- your shots, you're going to be able to drive number three if you want. Um, but number two is a par five. You're going to hit it through the. You're going to hit it through the dog leg. Can you can you turn it over? Right. All that kind of stuff. So right. I can't wait to see how he how he manages these courses. And believe me, these courses, as they tiger-proofed courses back in the day, if if Bryson continues to be that long, they're going to figure out ways. You know, cutting down fairways, all this stuff, because then he can be forced to move a ball. 350. The guy averaged 350 when he won last week. He averaged 350 for four rounds. Now you got to move it because those shots were mostly straight. Now you got to move it around a corner, left and right. Then, then show me that. Yeah, it's a whole different thing. I also want to see him on a U.S. Open track, a la winged foot, where you know, absolutely. Yeah, well, one inch off the fairway means you know you're hacking out <laughs> to, yeah. to you know to, to advance the ball. Um, before I let you, before I let you go, I wanted to ask you about um, you know the, the the racial and social justice issues that have been happening in society at large in the United States around the world. Um, sure. Is is I know at the first event there was an open tea time, a moment moment of silence, and there was an observation that way. Has that movement? Uh, can you feel it? in your involvement with the PGA Tour, or is it sort of like the tour is more like a bubble and what goes on outside doesn't really affect those guys? No, I don't think it's a bubble anymore. I mean, I think it could be accused of that before, but, you know, the moment of silence uh, for George Floyd, jeez, uh, I mean, I'm just saying it, the, the hair stood up on my, you know, the back of my neck and my arm. Um, it just... 
so I, I think, and obviously the, the, the more weeks they pull, it feels. But unfortunately, Michael, what's going to happen is that something like that is going to happen again. And it's, it's, it's hard. You can't ignore it. And a, a lot of guys on tour have not, and a lot of white players on tour have not um, have come out. Uh, in support of uh, Black Lives Matter and in support of, um, you know, the, the black race. And there's not a whole lot of um, African-American players, obviously, on tour. Right. Um, uh, I, I, so I, I don't – they're not in the bubble anymore, and I think they're well aware of, of how quickly life can change just because they're going through the pandemic alone. Um if, if the tour is smart, they'll be out in front of this. Um, you know, Tiger even spoke on it during his press conference. Tiger rarely does, um, but he came out and basically said, "You know, change is good in society, and, and unfortunately, innocent lives have been hurt and lost from it. If we can get away from that, um, he's all for what's the movement that's taking place." So, I, I think PJ Tour is smart enough to realize. Uh, that they have to be vocal um, uh, with the actions they take. Uh, and whether it's being vocal by being silent, having moments of silence, um, uh, you know, or taking the, the millions of dollars they make and taking a piece of that mm-hmm. and donating it to, to uh, organizations that are about equality. I think that's the smart move by the Torah. So I, to answer your question in a long roundabout way, I don't think they're in a bubble. Um, and I think with Tiger coming back, you know, more of this, you know, the, the simple fact is he's a man of color. Uh, more of those questions will be asked of him. And when he is answering a question, then those answers and those questions are then posed to other players who are in front of the media. So I, I think as long as they keep the conversation up, uh, they're headed in the right direction. Chick. I want to give you uh, big props, man, for all the work that you do. Um, as you know, you know, I've been following you and listening to you for years. Thank you so much for coming on today. I'll be listening to you uh, on the PGA Tour broadcast. And uh, first time, but let's not make it the last time. we got to get you back in here and uh, get your perspective on it because it is a valuable one, my friend. Well, let me tell you this, Michael. I live vicariously through you on social media. All the pictures from all the different locations you're at. It's, I'm very, very jealous. Uh, I've only gone overseas once, and that was to Scotland for the, one of the greatest golf trip of my life. Um, to see the, the what you're doing um, and the way that you're bringing golf internationally to your listeners and viewers, I think is I, I, I get riveted by it. I certainly am a big fan, so I appreciate the time. And no, it will not be our last time. Uh, so much appreciated, man. Thanks so much. We will talk to you soon. Bye. Got, that is Chick Hernandez. As John Thompson, when he was doing his show here in the D.C. area, when he would have a guest on who he really appreciated, I would always love it when he'd say, he's simply the best. And that's what you got to say for Chick. I'll give him a John Thompson, simply the best. He is uh, he is great, Chick Hernandez, man. He uh had been uh, an icon here in the D.C. area. Now everybody's getting to know his work on PGA Tour Radio. And, um, yeah, can't wait to have him back. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more golf and stuff. Michael Williams, 19th hole, golf, WRX.
Welcome back to the 19th hole. Uh, you're at Golf WRX. Michael Williams, your host. And uh, the past two weeks, we've had the PGA Tour uh, sort of settle down and hunker down in one city for two weeks. And usually, this is a seven-day stay for this traveling circus. This time, they've decided to do back-to-back tournaments, obviously influenced by the changes in the calendar brought on by COVID. But still, nonetheless, it's a very interesting story. And I wanted to talk to the guys, having come from a golf course management background myself, I wanted to understand from the guys who not only have to play the course, but especially the guys who have to prepare the course, the guys who have to make it ready for two very different events at the same place. That's a fascinating story to me. Um, Joining us now is the guy who is actually responsible for that. He is the director of grounds at Muirfield Village Golf Club. Please welcome to the 19th hole, Chad Mark. Chad, thanks so much and welcome to the 19th hole. Thanks for having me. Yeah, and I, I hear, I bet your phone and your computer are all blowing up right now because it's tournament week and everybody needs three things like five minutes ago, right? That's pretty much the situation. You know what? Tournament week actually gets a little easier because it's just such a grind getting into it that uh, we settle into a schedule of tournament week and it uh, gets a little bit less hectic. Oh, well, let's take advantage of that then. And uh, when did you find out that you were going to have the uh, the tour there for two consecutive weeks? I think Dan Sullivan came to me about five and a half weeks before it actually uh, started before the first event. Um, which was not much time as you could imagine, but uh, we had already planned everything for the timing of the Memorial Tournament, and it was basically moving things up a week as far as your peak dates. Um, the interesting part of that was that we had uh, a fairway bunker project going on at the time, and we had about six bunkers that were nothing but dirt. <laughs> so uh, it, was, uh, it, was, it was one of those things where Dan asked me about the logistics of it and if we could handle it. And my reply was, you know, have you been on the front nine lately? <laughs> so um, we had to jam a lot of things together to get ready for it. And Dan Sullivan is? He's the executive director of the Memorial Tournament. Of the tournament. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. Um, and so you find out, and it's just, you know, salute and uh, march up that hill. It, I just say you had fairway bunker projects going on. You have to move things up. Um, I guess... Uh, I, since it's been, I think, 40, 50 years since this has happened on the tour, maybe you know the exact uh, date and time that, that, that this happened, but I, I think it's at least 40 years since it happened. There's really nowhere to go get advice on how to do this, right? This isn't a page in the, uh, in the, in the superintendent's uh, playbook, is it? No, and I think the only thing that comes to mind is 2014 at Pinehurst when they went back-to-back with the Open and Women's Open. Um, but right. no, there's not a lot of people you can call and say, hey, you know, how do you sustain you know, high level PGA tour level conditions for two weeks. Um, you know, the thing that made it possible for us this year was the fact that after the tournament's over, we are going to close and renovate the golf course. Mm-hmm. So if, if we had to turn this over to our members, it might've been a different story, but it's a perfect way to help the tour, keep these guys in one spot for two weeks, keep them safe. And for, for us, it was a way that, you know, Jack always likes to give back to the game, help the tour uh, and it's a unique story, obviously. And with us closing right after the tournament, we felt we could pull it off. Now, there's probably two intuitive ways to look at this thing uh, if you know nothing about how to how to do what you do. And believe me, I know next to nothing. I know enough to be dangerous. But you could think that maybe having uh, two events back-to-back is twice the work of one or maybe half the work of one, which was closer to the truth. 
you know, it's somewhere in between, but I would say that there was a lot more that went into it because of the sustained time that you were going to have to keep it up high. Uh, I would tell you that I think the tour did a nice job of coming into this with a plan to, you know, a slow and steady rise and, you know, having a little bit slower, softer conditions during the workday event Mm -hmm. allowed us to use some whole locations that we can't use when the greens get quick for the memorial. Uh, And so we were like a slow slow and steady rise through the workday that just continued on through the the week of the memorial. Um, The interesting part was having advance week before the workday was a totally different kind of advance week because I think you were playing more defense than you normally would uh, for advance week for the memorial. So we had to learn through that. Um, it's really been three weeks of presence on site with the PGA Tour, mm-hmm. working with them every day. Yeah. Um, so I, I joke with our agronomist uh, that I really am looking forward to having dinner with him this Sunday and then for him to get out of here because it has been, <laughs> you know, it, it seems like forever that they've been here and we've been working with them on a daily basis. But um, the fact that we were going to start slow and rise uh, each day made it a little bit more tolerable. Um, I think that like I just mentioned Pinehurst number two, what they did a few years ago where they had a U.S. men's open and then turned around with a women's open, mm-hmm. that would be almost harder because you're pushing it so hard that first week that you're probably going to lose some grass. You're probably going to stress things out Right. Uh, where the next week's going to be compromised a little bit. Right. And you, you sort of did it the, the, the opposite way. When you have uh, the event, the workday uh, charity uh, the previous week, and now you have, have the memorial and my understanding is that uh, there will be some differences in the setup. Talk, talk me through the, the differences in setup of the two courses. Well, like I said, last week we tried to start the week in the you know mid-11s with a stimp reading, which allowed us to use some slopey spots on our greens. Mm-hmm. Um, that saved whole locations, uh, moved some traffic around. The other thing we did was move T placements, and we're trying to scatter the divot pattern as much as we can. The reality of it is, these guys hit the ball in a tight spot. It's it's the biggest difference between member play and tournament play. Right. The divot right. pattern isn't sprayed very far. Right. And so we moved tee locations around quite a bit last week. Um, the, the tees themselves uh, normally are, are, are smallest set of tees because they're used about one week a year. Yeah. And so using them two weeks in a year, we've seen some wear on the tees, which is to be expected. But overall, I think the, the tour did a good job of setting the golf course up with a plan that limited – that divot pattern as much as possible and and tried to move the pins around enough for eight different you know looks at the at the green so um i think that the the tour deserves a lot of credit for making that happen so in the fairways it's an interesting point because i was going to ask that very question um after you know night after night i've played of courses you know where they have the side elves that go out you know and replace divots uh, overnight and just you know, literally uh, replace them with sod. Were you trying to do something like that, or are you just using the same sort of sand divots that you would typically use? We did a lot of sodding and plugging during advance week leading into the first event. Uh-huh. But since the first event started, we've done nothing but sand and just try to make sure that it's at the right level, that we don't catch it with mowers, uh, and that people aren't in a, in a hole. And so our staff's done divots every morning and every night to make sure that uh, we don't have any situations where a player gets an unfair lie in the fairway. We're talking to Chad Mark, the director of grounds at Muirfield Village Golf Club uh, in Ohio. Michael Williams here with the 19th hole, Golf WRX. Um, so the setup of the course, you talked about uh, the green speeds, and you had them around uh, 
but 11 and a half last week. And I think typically you run about 13 uh, for the Memorial. Is that right? Uh, that or above that. And that I guess or above. It's, wow. it's important to note that the 11 and a half number gets thrown out there. That's where we started the week, but we went up each day. And, you know, that was the thing that when we started to talk to the tour and they said, you know, it'd be good to only have the greens at that pace for most of the workday event, we had to remind them that we have years and years of data and we always were in the 12s and mid 12s at the end of advance week so that we could get into the, you know, 13s for the memorial. And we said it's important to keep those marks. So, again, we had this slow and steady rise through the event to get to the point where we were still setting ourselves up to get to those speeds this week. So yeah. um, each day those speeds upticked a little bit. Um, it would have been impossible for us to be 11 and a half on Sunday of the workday event and, and be in the 13th again today for the first round of the Memorial. So that's important to note because I think that story got skewed just a little bit last week when, when we talked about the green speed. And obviously with different green speeds come different pin positions. Do you, you have uh, a sort of a tighter set? Do you, well, I'll say this. After having played a week before, do you still have all your traditional pin placements that you would use for, for the Memorial? We do. No, okay. we do. And I think, uh, you know, the only thing that we're looking at each day is to make sure that the, the forecast with the wind doesn't change some of those spots. But it looks like we're going to be good to go with all four of those locations. And weather's cooperated for you, right? In, in terms of course setup from week to week, you really haven't had anything unusual or, or I would say, uh, drastic, have you? We had a, a couple of rain events last week which softened the golf course. And it actually worked in our favor because um, it's not my nature to overwet the golf course anyhow. So we got a couple of events that were timely. Uh, and, you know, I always said, like, look, there's a great premise to say, hey, we're going to have two different setups. We're going to have two different conditioned golf courses. But if weather wouldn't have cooperated and we would have got two wet weeks, it would have been really hard to differentiate that much. But fortunately, we're into round one here at the Memorial today, and we're, we're firmer, we're faster. we got a little bit of wind. And I, we've already seen the scores um, drastically different than what we saw last Thursday. So that's that's been a, a a positive for the tournament that we were able to pull off at least to start these things a, a little bit different conditions on two different events. And you have the the rough is up, I'm sure, from uh, last week to this week. Absolutely, we did not cut all the rough. There wasn't a wholesale cutting of all the rough. We just went out to some of the thickest spots with rules officials and basically said, okay, this is an unfair area. It's near a whole location. Uh, we would take leaf rakes and blowers and, and fluff the rough up and then uh, cut that with a weed eater and just cut it, you know, quarter to a half inch off of it, depending on what it needed. So the rough, the rough let go since last week, and we're we're hoping it's a good test this week. Hey, I wanted to ask, were you there when uh, I remember there, there was an experiment with uh, uh, removing uh, teeth from the uh, bunker rakes to to give a certain effect, that sort of. Uh, I don't know what you want to call it. That sort of a uh, uh, textured the effect. Furrows? When you wrote, yeah, the furrows, exactly. Would, would you run for that, or has that ever been suggested again? No, and I wasn't here. I wasn't here for that. Um, you know, I, I've heard all about it. <laughs> I don't think that <laughs> I bet be you have done again, but no, I wasn't. I wasn't here during that era. Yeah, that would be uh, fun to see again. I kind of, I kind of liked it. I always like anything you guys can do to make the pros complain is okay with me. Okay, so <laughs> you, you, you that have doesn't my, take much. You, you have my, <laughs> and that's the quote of the day. Uh, we're talking to Chad Mark. He's the director of grounds at Muirfield Village Golf Club or the 19th hole. Uh, just before I finish up with you, I wanted to uh, 
Matthew, you were talking about the scoring. Do you expect the scoring to be uh, uh, a little uh, higher, a little lower this week? Which way do you expect the scoring to go? You know, these guys are so good, so you, you just never know. Somebody could get hot. I think overall today we're seeing scores uh, higher than they were last Thursday. And, you know, a lot of that's wind. Some of it's probably firmness. Um, maybe a little bit green speed, but quite frankly, I I think that these guys putt better when it's when it's this fast. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, if someone could get hot. I, I think that we'll probably be within three or four strokes of where we were last week. I would assume, mm-hmm. uh, just because that's what they seem to do every week. Uh, but they're so good, and you've got guys hitting the ball 400 yards today on some holes that you just you shake your head and can't believe that they're as good as they are. But um, we're just looking to have a fun fun test this week and. I know Mr. Nicholas is in town, and it's always special when he's here for this tournament. And sure. the players, um, you know, have so much admiration for him that it just makes it a great week. And uh, I was going to say, were you on the green when uh, Morikawa and Justin Thomas dropped those two bombs on the 18th hole last week? You know, it's funny because we had already shifted our focus to prepar- you know preparation for the memorial. And we had about eight of us on the front nine. We were checking things on the front nine. We had sprayers out there. We had guys watering. We were rehydrating the greens. And we were working on the front nine when it when it ended. So we didn't see it. Well, normally you would have heard a roar. You would have known about it, I guess, from, <laughs> from yeah. where you were. Because it was uh, really something to see. And last thing before I go, I know that golfers, you know, guys who grew up and get into the game and are, are, are playing it for a living, always have a role model or a great golfer they patterned their game after. Um, as you got into the game, is there somebody who's like a role model for you in your business? Someone who you look up to as an icon for how you want to do your, do your, or apply your craft, do your trade? Well, I've been lucky. I've had great mentors throughout my career and people that I admired, but I got into this business because of my dad. My, my, nice. my father was in the turf business. He's a, a specialist for a seed company and got me a job on a golf course when I was 16. But, you know, I think this having a father in the business and you know his reputation in the business with a lot of my peers was always great and um it provided opportunity for me that i took advantage of and you know so that definitely is the person that you know steered me into this business and the person i've admired the most yeah, i bet he's proud and uh very last thing what is it you want every golf fan the average golf fan who's watching on tv as they watch what would you like to let them know what's one you want to would want to whisper in their ear and let them have them think about in terms of how the course is set up and what you guys do all day to make that, to make that show, to set that stage up for those great performances. Well, I, I think the, the thing that people don't realize is what goes into it. You know, the weeks leading up to a tournament, just the hours, these guys have been working 80 to 90 hours a week to try to get this ready. We have 45 people on staff, 20 guys that are you know, either going to school for this or already have their degree and, and we worked from about 4 a.m. to, you know, 9 o'clock in the morning to get the first wave of assignments done. And, and then, you know, we have to kind of clear the course for play. And then they come back and leave the shop at 5 to do it all over again and leave at 10 o'clock. And, you know, these guys have really grind, you know, ground hard on this uh, last mm-hmm. month to get ready for this. And I'm just really, really pleased at how, uh, how much pride they have in their work and, and how well they've done and it takes an army and it's it's uh it's a team effort these guys have done a great job to to get us to this point well i haven't had the pleasure of coming out there to uh to visit this tournament but when i do i definitely would uh, love to meet you in person i will definitely buy you a milkshake 
because uh, there you go. the course looks spectacular. I'm really looking forward to uh, watching the guys do their thing uh, this week. And uh, you'll definitely, I'll, I'll be, you know, be thinking about you now. Now that you know who's doing this, you know, you can't help but think, wow, that, that guy did that. So really, congratulations and well done. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. You got it. That is Chad Mark, the uh, director of grounds at Muirfield Village. Again, I, you know, even at the municipal course that I, uh, uh, where I say, you know, air quotes grew up on, you know, we had guys, our busiest year, nine hole rounds. You've heard me say this before. We had four, we had to count our four nines. We did 203,000 rounds my busiest year. And I know what these guys go through, you know, they get up before anybody gets up and they never go to sleep. And I don't understand how they live past the age of 30, but somehow they do it and they love it. And um, we all get to benefit from it. So it's really cool to talk to Chad about a really unique situation and hosting the tour back-to-back weeks. It's, it's quite an accomplishment. Uh, stay with us. We'll be back with more golf and stuff. Michael Williams, 19th hole, golf, WRX. Well, that's it, and that's all for this episode of the 19th Hole. I want to thank my special guest, Chick Hernandez of PGA Tour Radio. Um, a great guy, super talent, and a real just fun person to play. Hope we get a chance to play uh, in person sometime soon. God willing, and the crick don't rise. Uh, also, Chad Mark doing an extraordinary job down there at uh, Muirfield Village Golf Club. We thank him so much for taking the time to come on and explain to us the uh, ins and outs of making a golf course work for the PGA Tour uh, two weeks in a row. You know, most guys you know, basically uh, uh, sort of live their lives around having that one week happen, but two in a row, wow, that is, uh, that's yeoman work. We really appreciate it. You can find this show and all of our great podcasts on Golf WRX on, of course, GolfWRX.com. You can also find us on uh, where you can find us. You can find us on Spotify. You can find us on SoundCloud. You can find us on iTunes uh, or Apple Music or whatever they're calling it now. You can find us all over the place, okay? If you can't find us, you're not really looking, I just have to say. You can find me on social media at, uh, where? On Twitter, at Michael on TV, and on Instagram, at Michael Williams TV. Uh, you can hit me up anytime. Operators are standing by. Um, thank you so much for listening. We do it all for you. Uh, until next week, go out, play some golf, hit them straight. And remember, don't count the days, make the days count. Michael Williams, 19th hole, golf, the WRX.